Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. So please enjoy this documentary. Thank you. What happens when your dream comes true in the opposite way? What if your greatest feat was also your greatest failure? My name is Greg Sestero. From as far as I can remember, I wanted to be in movies. In 1998, as a 19-year-old aspiring actor, I enrolled in an acting class in San Francisco. It is there that I met a mysterious man who claimed to be the next Marlon Brando. To be or not to be? That is the question. Tommy Wiseau. This chance encounter led me on the most hilariously twisted journey neither I nor anyone else could have imagined. It's a story about heart, sadness, vampires, blind artistic heroism, but at its center, lies the story of a deep and abiding friendship and the insanely bizarre film that stands as proof. You gotta tear me apart, Lisa! Tommy predicted his romantic drama would conquer the world, and in a way, it did. There's a movie that's been called The Citizen Kane of Bad Films. And they said it's the best, worst movie ever made. It is like no experience you will ever have. The Room has become an international cultural phenomenon, playing to sold-out crowds worldwide for over a decade. Amazingly enough, as unintentionally hilarious and unexplainable as the film is, the journey and creation of it is even more surreal. Join me as I unlock one of the most improbable Hollywood success stories in my new book, The Disaster Artist, My Life Inside the Room. <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> when I'm old and gray, and someone comes up to me and asks what it was like to be a part of the room. I would tell them to remember the movie Carrie, where she's standing on the stage in front of everyone and blood falls on her and she's embarrassed and, and, and says, they're all gonna laugh at you. But I didn't kill everyone afterwards. I think the room might really have been lightning in a bottle because you can't, you can't recreate a bad movie. There's so many bad movies that are bad because they are technically bad, and the room is deeply philosophical 
philosophically bad. It was funny at the audition. It was funny being on the set. The whole thing was funny. I mean, now I'm not surprised that the finished product is, is funny. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that it's this funny, though. <laughs> Most people, when they watch a movie, they care about the characters on the screen, the protagonists. You don't care about the protagonists or any of the characters in the room. You care about the people behind the screen. Who are these people? Who are these actors? How did they make it through this film? Who's Tommy? Whenever anyone meets me, they, they always want to talk about Tommy. What is Tommy like? Because I'll tell you anything you want to know, and Tommy won't tell you anything. To be or not to be. That is the question. My first impression of Tommy Vesaw was that uh, he was very intense and uh, he didn't smile a lot. He was very focused. He knew exactly what he wanted from the actors. Being from North Carolina, you hear all these stories about moving out to LA and like people are crazy out there. And so then when I met Tommy, I'm like, oh yeah, well, he's just one of those crazy people that's out in LA. To be or not to be? That is the question. The answer to be at Street Fashions, 555 Beach Street, 1457 Hay Street, and 310 Sutter. Be there for Levi's jeans. Street Fashions has the best prices, the best quality, and the best selection of Levi's jeans anywhere. Be who you want to be in Levi's jeans from Street Fashions. To be or not to be? Who do you want to be? I saw an ad in Backstage West um, for a movie, so I sent my headshot in and about a week later, I think, I heard back and they asked me to come down to audition. Do you have a uh, Nerf light? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. How long do we have? Um, about a couple of hours. That looks really good. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. like it? Yeah, I love oh, chocolate. <laughs> Tommy was like, you'll have the pot. He kind of like whispered to me. And I, you know, just being in Hollywood even three months, I kind of was like, oh, I'll never hear from them again. <laughs> it's like at some point, I don't know if it was um, later auditions or how far down the process it was, but Tommy brought out a fake gun without announcing to anyone and started waving it around. And I know I'm from Texas and everything, but guns scare the crap out of me, and so all of us just kind of stopped what we were doing and just stared at him. <laughs> like, please God, <laughs> don't let that be real. <laughs> um, Tommy, when he first met me, he saw that I had freckles, and he apparently has freckles. He was like, I like you, but I'm gonna have to airbrush air that all out, all that out. I don't like the freckles, and you know, I, I airbrush myself, and and then when he was doing that, the scene where his rear end was going to be was going to be on camera, he insisted that the makeup artist airbrush his rear, his butt, basically, and um, that was really funny. I felt really bad for them. <laughs>
I was friends with somebody that was working at Burns and Sawyer, and he was actually the one that got me the job on The Room, which was filming in the back of Burns and Sawyer. Basically what could be called a storage shed. It was literally where they kept, you know, spare equipment and stuff like that. And it was literally filmed in a room. The upstairs in that same room, the downstairs was in that same room, the alleyway, that was built in there. Again, not a real location, it was a set in this little tiny room. The room has a, let's say, notoriously bad green screen rooftop shot. You're having an affair with Lisa, aren't you? Am I wrong? What? We shot that, that rooftop in a parking lot and the green screen was up against the building that was next door. There's plenty of rooftops everywhere. And sure enough, a week later, um, I got a call and they asked me to come to the set, just, you know, how fast could I get there? Um, so just wearing the clothes I was already in, I just threw some things in a bag and just hopped in my car. And, and within like 30 minutes, I was shooting a chocolate as a symbol of love scene. Did you uh, know that chocolate is the symbol of love? They had to reshoot all of the stuff they had shot before with the former Michelle, and I was going to be the new Michelle. The shoot had already been going on for, I thought, a month and a half at least before I came on board. Um, I know I came halfway through. <sighs> filming, how long was filming supposed to last? Well, originally, I talked to Tommy and I told him I had probably two to three weeks because I had another project coming up. And he said, well, we'll see what we could do. And then the contract said four weeks. So that's what I budgeted for for my time, it was four weeks. I tried to give him a couple extra days, but it was just getting too, too crazy. And I said, I gotta go. And I had to leave. That's it, I'm done. Great idea, Denny. I expected him actually to give the lines to Denny in the final product because Denny didn't seem to have a lot of dialogue in the party. So I thought, well, he could just give my dialogue to Denny. But instead, he pulls some magic character out of nowhere. Steven. What's going on here? Why are you doing this? About 10 years ago, I answered an advertisement for The Room. I met a uh, very uh, professional young man, Greg Sestero, and uh, I also noticed a, a very maniacal, crazed, homeless-looking man, soaked in sweat with wild hair, running around uh, talking to the different actors, and, uh, and I remember approaching Greg and saying, I think it's pretty cool that you brought this homeless guy in on the set to mess with the actors, and, and then I realized, that, well, he told me that, uh, no, that's actually Tommy. He's the director of the film. So, uh, so then I, I met Tommy, and uh, immediately uh, he paired me with a, an actress and uh, wanted us to make out, to go at it and make out. And I was, I was okay with that. I was little, that was a little weird. She was not okay. She fled the set at that point, as a, as a lot of people were. A lot of people were fleeing. They're just a lot of actors seem to come and go, and. Uh... I, for some reason, I hung in there. We had two marks. Uh, we had uh, finally, uh, I think, three Lisa's, because originally Ju uh, Juliet was Lisa's best friend. The Lisa's before her had either quit or been fired. Um, 
and that, that had, there had been a couple Lisas that had left. What kept me from running for the door? Um, number one answer to that question would be youth. Um, I think when we're young, we, we put up with a lot of things. So. Yeah, but, but you, you know, for some reason, uh, don't be afraid of these people because they, they will see you have maybe, I don't know. Um, just to but, but you see... You know, I also really wanted to be an actor, and and I didn't have a lot of experience, and I had been given, you know, the lead role in a film, and and so I was always looking at the, the positives that would come from it. You know, I would have stuff from my reel, I would have a, an acting credit. Um, I could, I could phone my friends in Sugarland, Texas and say I'm in a movie. So, um, and, and plus, I really pride myself that when I start something, I finish it. So, I finished it. There were three crews that actually worked on the room, which gave it a really professional end credit role because there's all these people. I was actually part of the second crew People were constantly coming and going on that set. I never knew for sure who I'd see the next time I showed up. <laughs> How many people come in and out of this apartment every day? This is worse than Grand Central Station. You know, we'd just show up on a Monday and there'd be a totally different crew. And we'd say, well, what happened to the old crew? They either got fired, was the story, but, you know, I really, I think a lot of them quit. I guess with line producer, hopefully he will stay with us. I don't know what to tell you guys. We're in 11th production. We will fire already, I believe, dozen of people. I don't know what will be next. We see. I don't want to fire anybody, but that's the story. If you'll be in charge of the script, if something comes wrong, if you want to fire somebody, it's mm -hmm. your call. Definitely. Be sure. Yeah, yeah. Because they go overboard some of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, this, this girl there, I don't want to talk to her. This there, she was very nasty with markers. That's not called. He never gave me a hard time. Some of the other actors he'd lean on a little. He, he didn't, didn't like something they did or whatever and he'd give them a little harder time. The way he behaved on set, it's not like he was um, it's not like he was difficult. Um, <laughs> he made it a little difficult. <laughs> get out. Kill me if you try. You betrayed me. Shit, get out my Johnny. way. It's over. It's over. Give me a freeze. Give me a little time, man. You said jump out. Keep being called it. No matter what you do in acting, you always want to know kind of what you're going to be talking about or where your character's going or where he's been or what's happening, and that's not at all what happened. We would go in there and we would actually just be told, hey, this is the parts that you have to do today. So my part, as short as it was, I had no idea, you know, where this guy came from. I figured there was going to be a backstory, but he wouldn't tell me. He just said, okay, Dan, you're going to be playing this guy, Chris R., and I'm asking him, what's the R stand for, which is like the common, most common question I get asked about the movie, and I had no clue. So kind of went through and played the thuggish role. We did the entire scene, the original Chris R. scene was shot in an alley which you would think made the most sense. And so we filmed it, I was on set for two weeks. I mean, we were there for six, seven, eight hour days, which was crazy considering that, you know, my part, for example, was I think no more than about 35 seconds. But we'd gone through and shot the, uh, the alley scene down, whatever else. And when we came back, I was kind of surprised to find out that we're shooting on a rooftop, or what was supposed to be a green screen rooftop, right? So of course, the questions I'm asking Tommy is I'm like, Tommy, I don't get it. Why would you know, this guy be up on the roof. Why would Danny be up there with a the basketball? You know, Dan, you have to understand, you know, he's stressed, he's thinking. And, okay, well, why would I find him on the roof? Like, why of all places would a drug dealer from the streets end up on the roof of his apartment building? 
So my part, as short as it was, I had no idea, you know, where this guy came from. I figured there was going to be a backstory, and that there would be something that followed up. But as we all know now, uh, as they said in Entertainment Weekly, my part was a plot cul-de-sac. It really didn't go anywhere, and and I guess that's just what makes the movie special. You come in to as your character. When you come in, get the money from him. That's your objective. He doesn't have money. Okay. You do exactly the same thing. The difference is that when we have a gun, we do over that. The gun fall down. Okay. And then we scroll you out. Maybe sick. Okay. Use your power. Very calm. You know what you're doing. You have all money. Everybody. What's your life? Okay. Tommy the actor is just very method and um, has to go all the way with with every scene um, and really really took it seriously. What do you want from me, huh? Stop it! Come on. Oh, shit! <laughs> it, it was really hard to keep a straight face, but you know I think I did a pretty good job because you know this was like my first like big break, you know and. Um, and so, you know, I want to be professional and, you know, you don't want to be one of those actors who, like, laughs and ruins takes and things like that. But I just remember, like, when he did that thing in the bathroom where he said, in a few minutes, bitch, I was holding it together, right? And then I turn around and I see all the crew. They're all, they're, and I just couldn't hold it in. They were all, they were all giggling. And, and so um, I started laughing and Tommy busts out of the bathroom and he says, why are you laughing? This is very serious. <laughs> that just made me want to laugh more. <laughs> uh, the, the most difficult scene that I had to do was um, the roof scene for some reason. I just never really got uh, why that was in there or why she would be so upset but, but he wanted me to be so upset and I'm like well, why is my character so upset when she doesn't care about anything else and and Tommy said to me well that is the twist <laughs> and um, that wasn't helpful um, so this whole time you know I'm, I'm shaking this this little kid like person who's the same age as me and, and saying all these things like what kind of drugs do you take it's nothing like that. What the hell is wrong with you? How do you how do you say those things? There's just even even now with all the experience that I've had, I still would not be able to do that that scene properly. I remember asking, could I could I see the script? Because I kind of want to see where these scenes fall in the sequence of the movie. And he told me that he thought we might steal it. Um, so he didn't give he wouldn't give it to us. Maybe after Greg and Tommy, I probably got um, most of the script. It didn't really bother me that I didn't see the, the whole thing. I mean, anytime I would ask Tommy a question about why, it's always, that's the twist. So whatever's in the rest of the script is a twist, I guess. That's correct. That's what the twist is, you see? When I read the script and saw the breast cancer line, everything goes wrong at once. Nobody wants to help me, and I'm dying. You're not dying, Mom. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. And I thought, oh, good grief, I'm going to have to play a woman, you know, in, in the throes of fighting cancer. And then, of course, it never shows up again. So I took Tommy aside one day and I said, what about the breast cancer line now? Does she have it? Is she using it as a ploy to, to control her daughter? Or is does this woman really suffer with breast cancer? And he said, well, you're going to have to make up your mind about that. And I said, yeah, Tommy, 
okay, what do I do? Do I just skip the line altogether? Or do I show up with the skull cap and I'm in chemo? Or so, you know, what am, what am I supposed to do with that? And he said, you decide. You think about it, you decide. So, <laughs> I don't think I ever came to a decision on it. I used to just throw it out because, in fact, once I didn't say it and he caught me on it and he says, hey, you didn't say the thing about the breast cancer. You've got to say that. That's in this. I said, okay, I'll keep it in. <laughs> so I just decided in my own mind that she was using it to garner sympathy from her daughter. You know, we did fight some of the um, some of the words that were in the script, and, and we we did want to put out something that we'd be proud of. And and you know, when he would say no, or when it would seem to be going in a way that this isn't going to be a good film, I think yeah, we would all kind of be huddled in a corner, just really understanding what the others were going through, I think. He wasn't, I know he was not trying to make a bad movie. He was really serious about making a good movie and he just, he failed miserably. This was his baby. I could, he seemed to have spent a lot of time poring over the story and what he wanted it to be. And I think he was deadly serious. He really wanted that to be a, a, a tragedy. Every piece of direction I ever got was to be completely serious, take it totally like, you know, this is a horrible thing that's happened and, and you gotta really be serious about it. The time when we're playing this, uh, the scene, that actually, I want you to play as a sorrow. You see what I mean? Because the mistake was made. He did um, really care about this this film and this movie, and he wanted to make it, um, you know, and do a really great job at it. He even said he wanted people to be crying at the end of the movie, with you know, tears of sorrow. But instead, we were crying with laughter. <laughs> if Tommy really did mean for this to be a comedy, he is the most evil genius out there. Because I saw a trailer for it in the theater. Um, like, a, like in June of 2003, and I was the only one laughing in the theater because I was like, "What? What just happened?" Because it, it just, it just barges through and it gives you like no information, but it's so dramatic and you're like, "What did I just watch?" You are tearing me apart, Lisa. Hey, Danny. Where's my money, Danny? Put the gun down. What the hell is wrong with you? Just shut up. This world. The Room, a film with the passion of Tennessee Williams, directed by Tommy Wiseau. We thought it would be slightly funny, barely funny. Maybe there'd be that. I remember that one scene. Uh, yeah, where, funny. And then from the first line all the way up till the end. I, I was calling people laughing. on my phone before it even ended saying we have to watch this again right now. So we snuck in 15 friends through the back door of the theater because none of them wanted to pay for a crappy movie. So we said we'd sneak them in. The next day we snuck in even <laughs> twice as much. It was 30 people. And the final day we had like a hundred people. We were so taken aback. We, we hadn't met Tommy. We couldn't figure out was this man real? Was this an act? Is, is he starting something new that people are really going to need to catch on to? And we just felt as in the tradition of fans of It Came From Hollywood, Mystery Science Theater, the world needed to know. 
We spent our spare time between screenings going to the mall, passing out those little postcards <laughs> that they had, the promotional flyers for the film, telling <laughs> mothers and their children that they need to go see this. Which absolutely worked. We saw all of them there later. <laughs> all Whole families. Mm -hmm. uh, their <laughs> relatives. <laughs> so, the origin of the spoons, I think it was the second or third viewing of the movie, I was just trying to pick it apart and I was looking for every single conceivable detail to pull, pull apart why it was so bad. And then I noticed that in the picture frame there was a spoon. I don't know why there was a picture of a spoon and so I would just scream spoon. I started pointing at it and everyone kept missing it so every time it appeared I would scream spoon and that was just the ritual. Everybody also asks about the spoons and truthfully I didn't notice the spoons but I think it was we just didn't have pictures to put in the frames. The movie raises these questions and you get answers and it raises more questions. Why is the cinematography so bad? It's like oh well they had two cameras side by side filming HD and you're like what? Why would you do that? There was plenty of incompetence on the set. They brought me in for the high def. They had a Panasonic Vericam, which was a tape-based high def camcorder, uh, which was top of the line at the time. And so I was like, okay. And then my friend said, and they're also shooting film. Now, a lot of shoots have two camera shoots, but not two cameras mounted on the same head. So as you panned and tilted the head, the cameras would move at the same time. And normally you only have two cameras on one head when you're shooting 3D, and this was not a 3D movie. But it could be. So when is it going to be available in 3D? That's what I wanted to I've know. been waiting for that. I asked him about the room video game years ago, and there's a room video game, so... The movie starts so pompous with the with so films logo it's so self-important and grandiose and then this very moody intro and the first thing that happens is a very sitcom open the door hi babe <laughs> it immediately throws you off the trail of what is this movie tommy actually said the reason he was shooting the high def was his plan was always to shoot a sitcom called the room and sitcoms were usually shot on video and movies were shot on film, so he wanted the option to be able to cut the room into a sitcom. He told me at one, at one point he was thinking of turning the room into a sitcom for television. And I said, yeah, but you killed the, the lead, <laughs> shot himself. Are you, yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to have to work around that. I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do with that. Ah, God! Forgive me! One, two, trigger! Ah! When we found out that it was the that it was the final run, that the room wasn't going to be seen anymore at the theater, we freaked out because we thought it was going to disappear. We pulled out all the stops, we called all of our friends, harassed them to bring their friends, and we decided to dress up, bring props, and um, I think that's when the spoons. Yeah, we brought spoons and footballs and wore ties on our heads and somebody threw roses. I, I'm glad that never caught up. Throwing roses? <laughs> the Too expensive, really. <laughs> I think what he calls it now is a dark comedy because obviously everybody laughed at the dialogue. He's not a dummy. He knew that wasn't the way the market was going and decided he was going to remarket it as what it's accepted as, as a, as a comedy. To the fans of the room, what the f were you thinking? Tommy could have disappeared into oblivion. 
You are responsible for keeping this going. Yeah. Tommy could have backed out once he found out people were making fun of his movie, and he could have he could have pulled the plug and hidden it away. But he put his money where where his mouth is, and he put more money into uh, marketing of this film and getting it out there and having um, test screenings and like uh, and then the free screenings he did. And we were we would go there and bring more people, and uh, we were shocked when he started charging. You have to have the money to keep this thing going, and I guess Tommy had the money to keep the billboard up, and he people started talking about it. Like, what is that? What's that billboard? about and then they wondered and they'd go to the screen screenings at the Sunset Lamley and then more and more people started talking fortunately there was a place that it was still showing where people could go see it because I think most movies like this wouldn't have any other screenings like they would just be dead I was I was completely amazed because I didn't really hold out a lot of hope for the room being much of a success and it has become a success. There aren't that many movies that people get all dressed up like the characters that go to see at midnight and become huge fans of. They jeer and they laugh and they throw spoons and they make fun of it, but everybody goes to see it. He has this huge fan base. It's been a complete amazement to me. I, I have to say I'm delighted for Tommy. Part of the fun of the room is, of course, the fans. The fans make their room fun. The fans who've really made this movie, um, who come out to all the screenings and contribute so much to the experience, and that's really what it's kind of about. It's about a communal experience that you can't get anywhere else. Yeah, people are calling it the the new Rocky Horror Picture Show, um, and I I think it's such a joy to be a part of it. As uh, aspiring filmmakers, we really responded to the room because it did everything you should not do in a film, and it did that so well. It's like the saying, like, oh, you want to learn how to make a movie, you should watch the greats. No, you should watch bad movies. They will tell you how not to make a film. And Tommy Wiseau did that so well. Do I think Tommy's an artist? I guess it depends on how you define an artist. I mean, he's gone out of his way to make a piece of art. So yeah, he's an artist. How many people have a movie that they want to make that they're just talking about that they've never done? And say whatever you want, Tommy made his movie. The fact that the room is still going is, like, ten years later, is is really kind of amazing because it's really a film that should have just stayed in somebody's closet and never, never gone anywhere. Yeah, it was it was definitely one of those very interesting Hollywood stories that you can soon read about. My experience with the room has sort of been an arc. You know, it, it was. It was really difficult um, for the first couple of years and I tried to hide from it and then one day it just suddenly became this thing that I decided to enjoy and you know a lot of that came from you know fans who reached out and were supportive and sweet and at some point in your life when you realize that something is is stuck to you 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 should just enjoy it so it's kind of where where I am now I mean it's really it's really funny now. Like now I can really laugh with everyone else. I'm just never going to watch it ever, ever again. Greg, congratulations on your book, my man. Maybe I will live tweet as I read The Disaster Artist. That's great. what I...
I want to say congratulations to Greg for finishing the book. That's a huge accomplishment. I give you mad props for it. I cannot wait to read it. I'd like to uh, wish Greg Sestero a lot of luck with his book. And uh, I think this is going to be a big seller. It's a very popular movie, and I think a lot of people are going to want to know how this whole thing came down. And he's the guy that was right there through the whole thing. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Greg Sestero. Come on out, Greg. Come on over here. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. <clears throat> oh, hi, tree. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been 12 years since we made this thing, and it's really uh, still alive because of you guys. So just want to th say thank you for that. Um, I'd like to bring up my, uh, my co-writer. This book wouldn't have been possible without him, Mr. Tom Bissell. Oh, hi, Tom. <laughs> oh, hi, Greg. <laughs> and uh, where are those uh, great actors? Uh, Juliette Danielle, Robin Paris, Kyle Vogt. And Mr. Uh, Joe, Joe Sattel, who uh, ran the HD camera, kept us all sane. <laughs> well, not really. I'm sure you guys got a lot of questions, so let's, uh, let's have at it. Where, where do we start? I think it's definitely a cry out for help. Um, I think you know it's a way of making him the perfect person amidst this chaos. And I think it was just a, enough getting rejected by Hollywood and finally kind of probably seeing the talent of Mr. Ripley and thinking it struck a chord and that he believed he could make something even more powerful than that. Well, a lot of the hello, is this on? Um, hello. Um, I think while Greg and I were working on this book, we realized, weirdly, that a lot of the stuff, experiences you and Tommy had had, the movie is sort of about their friendship, too, in a strange way. And Nathan Rabin at The Dissolve, a really great movie website, pointed out that, um, that like, the Le Lisa in the movie is actually Hollywood, and uh, Johnny and, and uh, Mark are sort of struggling for 
the attention of this of this beautiful woman and and the uh, the younger better looking guy gets her despite him doing everything he's supposed to do and when when Nathan wrote about th that that interpretation of the movie it sort of blew a blew a hole in my mind because I think not that I think Tommy intended that but you know when you're writing something I think you deep you deep dig deep into all your stuff and so I think like a large part of the movie is uh, is about their rela your relationship with Tommy. Yeah, it's definitely a very personal film. And I think that, I mean, obviously it's a, you know, it's incompetent, but I think that's what people respond to is they're seeing this guy just throw his life on screen. We have a few, uh, talking about like, where the funding actually came from the movie, whether it was like from street passions or from that woman Tommy dude. Have you ever figured out exactly where all the six million came from? That's the great thing about Tommy. You unlock one mystery, and then it just opens like 10 other ones. So you never really find out. <laughs> well, I, I'd like to talk to you guys about what your best guesses were during the filming in terms of where the money was coming from. Because okay. I know you all had to have thought about it. I think Tommy had stock in Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> there was a rumor floating around the set that Tommy um, he had came from he had family money. He was the ba black sheep of his family, and they basically paid him to uh, leave <laughs> leave the family. That was the rumor. I mean, it's totally a rumor. So. Of course, my favorite rumor is the East European organ trade. So. <laughs> I, I always said that if you're part of the government relocation program, you shouldn't star in a movie and have a billboard on Hollywood Boulevard for years. My favorite rumor is that Tommy is a cyborg sent from the future. <laughs> I just think he's a very uh, successful vampire. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's, he sold jeans, and judging from that commercial, I'd buy a shitload of jeans from him. <laughs> He has. Uh, the latest one he's been working on is called The Foreclosure. It's about the housing market. A man loses his house and he goes to the bank with a shotgun to get it back. Would I be in it? Um, you'd have to probably need a shotgun to get me involved. Have you guys actually seen the house that drips blood on Alex? Yes. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah. I think that, that getting to work with Tommy is like a once in a lifetime experience, but I would so do that shit again <laughs> because I would enjoy it this time. <laughs> yeah, it's like you check it off your bucket list, you know? Did that. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> time to move on. So, yeah, I would say probably not. <laughs> I will always take a meeting. <laughs> It may require a very large check. <laughs> Joe, I want to do a vampire movie. I need somebody who can shoot vampires. You know anybody? <laughs> the check's always cleared. I mean, he says he has. Um, there's well, can, can I can I interrupt? Yeah. He's not here, right? Is uh, that's verified? He's right. <laughs> He's hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because you never know. <laughs> Each day is a new story. He'll be like, well, you know, this didn't happen like this, okay? And then another time, it's the Red Bible. He'll call it the Red Bible. And then lastly, it's I agree with it 50%. And, and he refers to me as your proofreader. <laughs> He just, yeah, he's, he's an amazing human being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it any quote in saying, don't believe everything you read? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I'm an F student in Tommy's <laughs> eyes. <laughs> Where do you think Tommy would be if, if you never met him? <laughs> um, probably still taking acting classes in San Francisco. I think we helped each other out in a very weird way. Don't be chicken. <laughs> Tommy is, yeah, he's very passionate about music. He loves uh, Van Halen, Richard Marks. <laughs> he has a very romantic taste in music. And he can bust out, you know, the Metallica and all that, too. When Tommy asked you to step outside at the party, what did he tell you? Because it never happened in the movie. Remember the pen? Oh. But he goes, and he so will you come outside with me? And you go outside, next thing we know, you're in his arms. That's a great point. That's a plot hole I've never yeah. I've never noticed. It's like, look, all right, some stuff's gonna go down here now. And then next thing you two are together and then Tommy walks back in and goes, What are you doing? And, and Well in the script the party scene is was very different from what yeah. they wound up shooting. Um, and my favorite moment in the script that didn't make it onto the screen is when Lisa's mother says to Lisa, get your pretty little buns in here. <laughs> Which is wrong on so many different, so many different levels. Um, we had a question right, right here. Oh, yeah. um, I, I discovered the room sheerly by accident when it aired on Adult Swim a number of years ago. And I tuned in at around midnight expecting awkward teen hunger force, and instead I got the room. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's fine. I know who to blame for that. <laughs> but um, I, I stuck with it, and it was definitely amusing, and I made it all the way to the end. But the moment that I fell in love with the room on the whole that just had me absolutely lose it was the scene where you come in and it's revealed that you had shaved, and that was really, uh, a huge deal. And, and Casablanca has, you know, Rosebud, and, and Empire has Luke, I'm your father, and the room has you, you shaved. And, and, and I was like, oh, when, when you did that scene, apart from just, you know, the scenes when you're talking about how you just couldn't keep a straight face, I mean, what must have gone through your mind when that was like, okay, the, the focus of the scene is <laughs> I thought first off I thought shit my disguise is gone and uh, it's, yeah, it's a really weird story why he wanted me to shave because his nickname for me back in the day was babyface so he said you need to show it you need to show it so he convinced me to shave and um, then made a whole scene for it it was really really weird I think the dailies uh, I showed the dailies to Tom and he's like, God, you look miserable. <laughs> he looks like this enormous fist was just crushing the life out of him. Yeah, I was uh, wondering when they decided not to make the kitchen sink. I mean, the kitchen set. We designed the kitchen set. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do. But I, I was on the art department. And that's something I always wondered when I actually saw the movie. What happened to the kitchen set? Because it never happened. 
I think it was one of those things where it's, you know, Tommy saying, we don't have time, we don't have time. Okay. I have a question for Kyle. Yeah. Um, you had noted that you had to, you only had four weeks to shoot this movie and you had to go with somebody else and why Thomas Eisner had to leave early. What was it like um, finally working in a functioning environment directly after leaving working on the Okay, he's asking what it was like working in a functioning set after working on the room when I had to leave early. Now, why do you think where I went was a functioning set? <laughs> oh, no, um, no, it was it was not my first time on set, so it was interesting. While I was on the room, I learned quite a bit of what to do and not to do in a movie. So, but going on to the next set was a relaxing. It was very very relaxing. And it's, it wasn't your first movie, but it was your first movie. Uh, Juliet, and, and you just arrived in... Yeah, I had I'd done a movie or two in Chicago before I moved to L.A., but yeah, one of my very first. Did this help your career? Do you proud to put on your resume? I don't really put it on my resume. I mean, I don't know, because the verdict's still out. It's been like 10 years now, but it's really picking up steam. So, I mean, who knows? Like, fingers are still crossed. You know? Um, yeah, it definitely helped my career. I booked a national commercial. I've done uh, a lot of other work as a result of people knowing me from it. Uh, keep it on my resume. It gets me very odd questions at auditions. But um, like anything in Hollywood, any press is good press, even if it's bad press. Well, first of all, I appreciate you calling it a career. <laughs> I, I think most of all, it's helped me in life um, because who else goes through something so terrible? when they first get to Hollywood and have everyone see it and then talk about it and then tweet about it and then I got over it and that's that's life so I appreciate that um, no I wasn't he, he had made a pilot back I think in 07 and I uh, I wasn't around for that but I think he's working on a new version of the sitcom has anyone here seen that? Yeah. Like the whole the whole thing? Just a trailer. It's it's amazing. It, make, it makes the room look good. No, 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 no. That's the that's the weird difference. Like uh, the room is just spellbinding and mesmerizing. The neighbors is just like eye poison, you know. <laughs> it is so hard. To watch. <laughs> No, I mean, I, well, there was a, probably always something there, but I think just kind of going through life, what's the saying? Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting the same results. I think that's probably kind of was his approach, and I think he got let down and just little by little kind of started to become Tommy. Um, that's a really, really good question. <laughs> Sex sells. I think Tommy just wanted to get the point across that Johnny got it a lot. 
<laughs> and we got that impression. And their love scenes. <laughs> no, but he had a very kind of old-fashioned idea about the way a movie should should work, right? And a, sh- and, a, and a big dramatic production should have romantic. Yeah, I was watching a, a 70s movie, and um, the, the sex scene went on for like 10 minutes. I was like, oh, this is right out of the room. So I think he was kind of capturing that era of sex scenes where you just kind of get the point across that it's happening <laughs> for like three minutes too long. Um, yeah, I was going to say, with the, with the sex scenes, like when you watch it, it seems like he's really comfortable with it because there are so many of them much of it, but I know from him doing the Tim and Eric thing, apparently he was really uncomfortable with the sex scenes they were doing that, so was he comfortable doing it in the room because I was getting impression he was comfortable, but <laughs> knowing hearing others outside of it, you know, saying that like, you know, that he, that he was uncomfortable with it, so. Pulled his hair brushed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he was uncomfortable. I mean, he's pretty secure in himself, and so I didn't I think notice. he was, yeah, I think he was looking forward to it. <laughs> With, with the sex scenes, the music, the background music, who, who came up with that? Who, who produced? The music is probably just as bizarre and twisted as the movies. You, you mean the, the R&B songs? Yes. Um, yeah, he had hired original uh, artists to make write that and perform it. That was Mladen who uh, organized all that, right? Or the the score. Oh, he but, did the uh, other yeah. score. Yeah, originally Tommy wanted to have uh, like Bon Jovi yeah. in the uh, for the sex scenes, but that that didn't really pan out. So he got like original guys to put it together, and, and thank God he did. Did he ever do the music video that he was talking about doing? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Um, Greg had a lot of notes from, you know, the times that he was thinking about this. And he'd been thinking about working on a book even before we met. Um, And then we just did a a ton. We kind of organized the book thematically, chapter by chapter. And then uh, we interviewed each other. Um, uh, Well, I should say I interviewed him. And then we had uh, a transcript of that made. And since we'd planned out what we were roughly going to cover <clears throat> in each chapter, when the transcripts came out, they were roughly what the chapter was going to look like. So then uh, I wrote drafts of those chapters, gave them to Greg. He would rewrite them, and then we would just pass them back and forth. And we didn't have a lot of time to do this book. And so, um, like Tommy says, do not plan too much. It may not come out right. Um, we took that to heart with this book. Um, and it's one of the only things I've ever written where it just kind of just just came out. Yeah. It just worked. It just worked right away. And it was really, it was a very pleasant surprise. And so, uh, yeah, we just we just shot stuff back and forth until, until we got there. Lisa and Michelle, do you guys think Tommy's attractive? <laughs> <laughs> you go first. I don't know how you answer that. My mom actually thinks he's attractive. And <laughs> while we go on that tangent, my mom loves this movie and not in an ironic kind of funny way she loves it she likes it and she would like there to be more of it <laughs> well you know if if i could only have been so lucky as to have a love scene with tommy but i it, it wasn't in the cards for me so uh you know unfortunately um but no you know i see the same person you see so uh you can answer that question for yourself <laughs> 
I, I did not have a love scene with Tommy. And now that I'm married, I just want to say that that someone who brings you flowers and red dresses and stuff, don't take that for granted. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's going to happen. Okay, is it really the Brothers? Um, yeah, that's the... Uh, Current casting. <laughs> what a story. <laughs> it sort of looks like it could have been made for a few hundred thousand. Why would it be six million? Um, Tommy, his big saying is no Mickey Mouse stuff. So he, he, you know, he got all his own equipment. He put a billboard up for five years. and he bought all his own equipment. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Marketing, and yeah, and spent a lot of marketing. I mean, he just he wouldn't let this film die. So hi, you guys. So who chose the photos in the book? Um, I think we all kind of did. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kat Kramer. She was actually in the limo on the way to the uh, the premiere. She's in the book. My mom's here too. You know what? It's a hell of a good read. <laughs> <laughs> Book and I had it in my car. Oh my god. Because sometimes I, I have to wait on things like go back, couldn't wait to read this book. And I kept reading it. And somebody doggone it stole the book right out of my car. So that's how popular this book was. <laughs> they stole it. So I've got to buy another one. But anyway. Is Tommy stalking you? <laughs> <laughs> the, the night of the premiere. Oh, she has to come yeah, I, 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 I got to tell you this. The night of the premiere. Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Kramer. And this and is I, my daughter, Kat. Tommy and, and Pick this up in the limousine, you know. It's in the book if you've read it. You'll love it. And uh, we were very excited for him. We, we knew him slightly. <laughs> and uh, we went to the premiere. And we were stunned with the movie as you were. <laughs> and uh, after it was over, there was a wonderful party. And uh, we didn't quite know what to say. <laughs> but he asked Kat, who was a writer at the time, she was writing for the Toluccan Times, and he said, would you do the critique of the movie, you know? And she said, okay, I, I, I will. And she said, Ed Wood, move over. <laughs> I think it was Move Over at Wood. Move Over. I, I, I told him you've got to market this like the Rocky Horror Picture Show and make this, you know, realize that it's not a serious film and that everybody's laughing and it's it's like a huge comedy, but it's like a black comedy. He was so damn insulted by that remark, by the way. He did not like it. But he must have taken the advice because he must have heard it from other people because look what's happened. This is a phenomenon. This is truly a phenomenon. I think in the first time in the history of our industry, this is really something. And we're here to congratulate this guy and this one who I've never met until tonight. Well, I think they both did a fantastic job in the cast I met on opening night, of course. But uh, I think it's wonderful, and I'm very, I'm very pleased <laughs> that this has happened. Could you talk for just a minute, because you were there ground zero, because you were his date. Oh, I remember. Yeah, we were his date. After the audience had like laughed, half of it had left and you were you were his like rock of stability at that moment right because I don't think you guys were really talking about that. Well you know it's very hard to say to somebody uh, you know this is this is unbelievable film. But when did you know looking at the screen when did you think oh dear god. Right. Well yeah right. from the very very beginning. We would actually been warned by Ed Losey his oh, publicist because that's how I hooked up with Tommy and 
Um, you know, I, all those things in the book that you guys talked about, a lot of that is true after all, that. All of it's true. I mean, all of it, but I mean, the, not everything was in there, but um, I did take him to a lot of events and, and we would, you know, go places and he would promote, promote, promote. I mean, throw the posters. Remember that? Oh, he had a limousine with a ceiling and he was throwing the posters and he, it really true. All that in the book is right. In front right. Of the media and we went to a David Bowie concert at the Shrine Auditorium. You remember yeah, that? Yeah. And he threw all the posters and the, it was just like. <laughs> It was amazing. He had, had a lot of confidence, a lot of confidence, and it, it certainly worked in his favor, I'll have to say that. So anyway, I'll give this back. I didn't mean to interrupt anything, but I just was really thrilled about this book. It's really a wonderful read, and he really captured, I think, the moments that I shared. What's your, a great movie. What's your favorite part in the book? Oh, I, well, the whole thing. I mean, the whole... Well, no, 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 not that part. No, no, I think that the... Of course, she's like an actress. She's going to say that. It's the part she's in. Of course, she liked that the best. No, no. I just thought the whole book was a great read. I could never put it down. And so if you get a chance, buy it. You won't be sorry. Buy the book. It's great. And I'm glad they're going to make the movie. They should. I think it'll be a huge success. I really do. So anyway, thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.